0: guys, welcome to a brand new episode of NHBF Shines On. I'm Brooke Evans and just like you, I run my own salon. I wanted to have real conversations with some of my favourite people in the industry about the highs and lows in hair and beauty. When it comes to new business, many salon and barbershop owners are still just relying on people walking past their shop window or on word of mouth our guest today wants you to know that it doesn't have to be that way. She went from owning her own business for 26 years to helping others use social media to take their business to the next level. Along the way, she has an amazing story to tell that'll inspire you to change the way you look at your business. Today on the podcast, NHBF shines on Vivian Johns. When did you know you wanted to be a hairdresser? Oh, that's interesting because
1: the whole thing is I actually never wanted to be a hairdresser. So I wasn't one of those people growing up who was like always dreaming of being a hairdresser. It just never, ever crossed my mind. So I moved to Birmingham when I was 15 years old. From Ireland. And as you can imagine, I literally did not want to go. I didn't want to go. I didn't want to move to a whole new country. And when we got to Birmingham, I just couldn't settle in school. I really just couldn't settle. I just felt like it's a very hard age to move. And I stopped going to school. So what I used to do is I'd get on the number 17 into Birmingham and I'd literally go and hang around. So I was like this weird girl. I was very kind of (laughs) grungy, like full-on emo. That was like totally my style, slinking (laughs) around, all depressed, all around Birmingham. And I kept ending up in Brindley Place outside Umberto Giannini's. And I used to stand there looking in and thinking how beautiful it was. And looking at the stylists and how cool they were. And every time the door opened, there was like music pumping out. And I was like, that looks great. That looks amazing. And then one day I just thought, I'm going to go into that salon. So I walked in and I literally just was like, Hey, you don't have any jobs, do you? And little did I know, I was talking to Lisa Shepherd. Like I did not know I walked into one of the best salons you could possibly walk into, right? So I just went in. I liked the look of it. It's it just had a vibe that I really liked. And she said, "Oh, when can you start?" And I was like, "Today." And she was like, looked at me like, "Oh, it's like off my head." She was like. Well, maybe tomorrow. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, I'll come back tomorrow. And it started from there. I honestly, I'm not exaggerating when I say I can remember the day that I was shampooing, the fresh shampoo I did. And I remember standing in that salon and I can even remember the music that was playing. And I remember just thinking, oh my God, for the first time in so long, I feel like I belong somewhere. You know, i would had like a year and a half up to this point where I didn't belong to anyone or anything. I had, had no friends. I really, I felt so lost. And I honestly, I felt like I had arrived. I was like, these are my people. And I felt like that about my hairdressing ever since.
0: I never knew that about you. I never knew that you were in the scene of Umberto Giannini and Lisa Shepard. Like, that's so weird.
1: I mean, I didn't stay there for that long because I had my head turned really quickly when Tony and Guy opened in Birmingham so once I kind of started it on Bartos, it wasn't long maybe maybe six or it could be maybe even a year around uh, Tony and Guy opened in Birmingham I mean, this was the 90s. Tony and Guy at that time had a real street feeling, like really cool, really fashionable. Like they had screens all around the salon playing all of the fashion shows. You know, everybody was dressed in like red or dead. It was like so cool. Everyone was so cool. And I was like in Umberto's, but I was a bit like, oh, we're looking after these rich ladies in here. So it was a totally different thing in Umberto's. And I just was a bit like, hmm. Mm, Tony and Guy looks, oh, that looks more like exciting. And, and that's where I stayed until I moved back to Dublin when I was 19. So I did tell my mum, I am not going to stay here. I'm going to be leaving and going back to Ireland as soon as I can. And when I went to Tony and Guy, I realised, oh, there's these sounds are all over. And there's one in Dublin. No way. So I, I went over to the Dublin branch. So that's how I ended kind of hopping back and forward.
0: I've heard you've said on other interviews that your mum was quite disappointed to hear that you wanted to become a hairdresser. And I think it's an important topic because I feel like a lot of parents have this sort of mentality. I just wanted to touch on that a little bit. What do you think that reason was? So I know exactly what that reason was. My mum
1: thought I was too clever to be a hairdresser. So obviously, growing up through school, they, they give you all of these predicted marks. They flag you up as the, the one who's going to go to university. I was academic, so I'm quite studious. I was already at Umberto's for, I would say, maybe three or four weeks before I told my mum I hadn't been to college. And she went off the charts she was like you are too clever to be a hairdresser a hairdresser where's this come from and I was like well I've been there like four weeks or whatever it was and I and I really love it and she was like oh my god I can't believe you're wasting everything because my mum saw hairdressers as uneducated as something you did until you got married or had a baby It wasn't to her long term career. And now my mum, honestly, she is so proud of me. Out of every single one of the people I grew up with who did go to university, I started earning from 16. So by the time I was like 20, I was really far on in my career, whereas they're like building up debt in university by the time they come out of uni with their big debts and have to start in their career i was well on my way i had my own salon by then you know so i opened my own salon when i was 25 and i think you do things quite young in our industry because we start young and and i'm not saying i think you should start young and it's not okay to start later because it completely is like i've had people come and completely retrain in their 30s and go on to have great careers you know but when you do start at 16 straight out of school, literally you you start earning and you start your experience and you start getting your education really, really quick. So by 19, you're qualified and on the salon floor. So by 24, 25, opening your own salon is about the right time, isn't it? You know, and then you get to kind of my age, 44, you're quite long in the tooth in, in the industry that you can do a whole other sidestep like I've done. And, you know, I've had great opportunities to have experiences that people who went to university and went straight into a job could only just imagine.
0: I absolutely love that you're pioneering this industry because I'm all up for it as well. I wouldn't be having these conversations with incredible people if I wasn't. So you went back to Dublin to work for Tony and Guy before heading to Cornwall. Yes. So tell me a little bit about that decision. So myself and Matt
1: were living in in Dublin and we had a brilliant time. Dublin's a great city to live in when you're young. I was working for Tony and Guy. As life turns out, I found out I was pregnant with Jack, who's my eldest. He's 21. Tony and Guy at that time in the 90s was... A really young business is a really young salon. In fact, salons are quite young when you think about all the people who work in them. But like the managers were like 24 years old. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. There wasn't even anybody there who were parents. (laughs) So I was just like, just can't see how life would be as a a young mom living in Dublin. Is there even any nurseries? (laughs) Like I couldn't even imagine pushing a pram through the the city streets that we'd like partied in. It just all felt wrong. So how it turned out is Matt's mum and dad had always holidayed down in St. Ives in Cornwall and they'd just bought a holiday let. So they said to myself and Matt, how about you guys come over and live in the holiday let for the summer? Because we were just renting. We were young. It was just like, yeah, why not? Let's go over to St. Ives. So that's what we did with all intentions of literally staying just till September. And I just never went back. It just felt right with a baby. So that's when I ended up working in Penzance in like a really old fashioned little salon. And I was just mortified with my life. I just couldn't believe what had happened. I was like, what am I doing here? It was the first time they'd ever seen GHDs. So like <laughs> I was like, "These? Are, do you know what I mean? It was yeah. like that, but it taught me a lot. So I went to this very local salon, which at that time had been there for a hundred years. Can you imagine it? A hundred years. And like, I think some of the clients have been there the whole time. Like <laughs> seriously, <laughs> it was like, it was like been passed down through the generations. So it was, it was like a, an institution. Some of the practices I'd, I'd never seen this kind of thing go on before. I'd never seen, I'd never seen perming. <laughs> you know, we just didn't, we didn't do them. I'd never seen hair been set like grand, like little granny sets on rollers. But like, obviously I had to just jump in and Do all of this because I'm like this big shot hairdresser from like, you know, Tony and Guy in Dublin, and and like she's like going, I have never done a granny set. Like, do you know what I mean? So I had to just kind of just do it. I will tell you something really funny that happened once though. I did a set on this old lady, did this set, put her under the dryer. Then my husband came in and he was, you know, just chatting. And I was like, Oh yeah, let's go. So started walked home. Walked home with him Left the lady under the dryer Left her under I got like To the top of my road And I was like Oh Mrs. Johnson Oh my God And I ran back to the salon And in the salon They were like They saw me run back through the door They were like Thought you went home And I like ran over to the dryer and Lifted up Oh my God Are you okay? Are you alive? <laughs> she was alive It was fine Her hair looked great
0: but like, you know, it's just
1: that kind of that kind of stuff that I was like, never, never seen this kind of thing mm-hmm. before. It was, it was
0: an eye opener. I love it. Honestly, Like my nan doesn't come to me because she still has a perm and a set and all that. And I wouldn't have a clue. I did it one time for her and she thought, you know, oh, finally, my granddaughter, you know, she's been in the magazines and all this to do it. And I was like, nan, this isn't for me. And she's like, Brock, I don't understand how you can make a living without doing perms and sets in your salon. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> it's, a bit, it's a bit of a different salon. <laughs> so where did you open your
1: salon? So I was only 25 when we opened the salon. I hadn't really thought any of it through. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't like I had a business plan or any kind of financial forecasting and all that lovely stuff that I might do now. (laughs) Um, So, you know, it was just like, can you borrow five grand? Yeah, I can borrow five grand. You know what I mean? So we all borrowed five grand each. We wanted to... Do it like, you know, like Umberto's or like Tony and Guy or like those, like bring a better standard to a small town because we all knew that just because we were in a small town, like we are six miles from Land's End, there's like literally one other tiny little town between us and Land's End, you know, so, but that doesn't mean you can't have like really good standards and everybody is educated and we're using the best products and we were always conscious of being sustainable, even like right back in 2003. That's
0: amazing. Yeah, because it was important to us. <laughs> When you are a salon owner or you are thinking of going in to be a salon owner, it's not as easy as you just turning up, doing your clients and, you know, you get that paycheck at the end of the month and you go home. You have committed to being on that roller coaster. You know, delve into a little bit more about what was difficult and what you overcome.
1: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. We went through some really difficult times. Now I look back on it and at that time, it felt like the worst thing that could ever happen in business because we were so close to to bankruptcy we were in a situation where we had no stylists you know so we we moved premises basically after our business partner left we thought we're going to have a complete fresh start we're going to get a bigger premises so at that time we had 12 stylists and we were working in, in our first premises and it was tiny little little salon and we were like elbow to elbow you know how in a busy salon you're all moving your chairs around to try and make room as well and oh there's always that one section you don't want to be in because it's squished up against the wall <laughs> yeah. it was just sardines so we thought we'd go and look for a new premises which we found right so we found this beautiful new premises right in the centre of town. It took probably six months, I'd say, to complete the work. Between signing and actually moving, we lost every single one of our stylists. Oh no! Every single one of our stylists left for one reason or another. So we had done, this is probably the first time I'd done the sums as well and worked out whether this was going to be affordable or not. And we'd done our sums based on 12 stylists and we ended up with three. (gasps) Two of them were me and Nadine, the salon owners, right? And one other girl who was like part-time. So we now were taking 25% of what I had planned to be taking, you know, to cover the costs of this new big salon and the bills and the loan and da-da-da and da da So we tried, we tried really hard. We really tried to kind of make it work. But obviously, we were just going into deficit and over and over and over and over. And it was, a, it was only a matter of time, really, before we ended up in a real difficult situation. And actually, we ended up just in a crisis point, really, where we were like, we're not bringing in enough money to cover Everything that that we're paying here, and I was pregnant again, so I knew I was going to be going off on maternity leave because obviously all this happens at once, doesn't it? Like it's always going to happen at once. So I was going to take time off the salon floor to train the assistants, and I went up to them. And we're like, right, you know, when I'm off, you're going to be able to take over, and they were like, no, no, we don't know what we're doing. Like we just, I can't even cut a straight line. I don't know how to do it, and I was like what have you been doing in college for the past two years? Like, I mean, what? So basically, I ended up taking a day off out of the salon floor every week to train the assistants because I had to. They were qualified. They were qualified already, actually, but they weren't competent. Certainly not for my salon. Mm-hmm. They might have been able to pass an exam at college, but they weren't going to be okay to be on the salon floor in in our salon. It wasn't going to be like that. So that saved us. That really helped us to get through the next, you know, three years because we were probably by this point, we were probably about a year and a half into this big salon. We're like falling behind month by month. But we really started to understand the business better and we did get coaching, business coaching and started to put like systems in place, especially financially, because that was really important that we weren't just wasting stock down the sink or over buying on products for the you know retail stands that was like my weak point like a rep would come in the door and I'd be like what you got what you got and I'd like literally would buy everything but like <laughs> they loved you <laughs> oh they not <laughs> coming into our salon because they'd be like, Viv will buy everything. You have to get try and get it past the business partner, but Viv will buy everything. So I came back from maternity leave and after eight months, I was like looking around the salon thinking like, I literally know all these clients in here. And I was thinking, why have we got no new clients? Like what's going on? Because You wouldn't expect, wouldn't you, Brooke, if you'd been away from the salon for any length of time that you'd come back and there'd be a whole load of faces that you didn't know. So obviously my first reaction as the boss was like, well, obviously something's going wrong. So I just thought the problem is new clients. Like why have we got no new clients? And that's when I realized We are not shouting about who we are or what we do. We weren't using our social media. We weren't doing any of that. We were relying on people actually walking past our salon. We were relying on word of mouth, which had worked for many years. But it was a whole new world, was, was not even opening up, had opened up. But I had chosen to ignore it to my detriment in in our business. And this kind of leads back to the whole kind of product range thing. So I started to think when I was designing our Instagram and planning our Instagram and designing our website and building our website, I was like, who is this for? You know, like trying to figure out like who is our dream client? Like who is our, we call them perfect guest. Like who is that person? Like who wants to hear about this? What do they want to see? What do they want to read? What kind of pictures do they like to look at? What kind of products do they like? And that whole working out who my perfect guest was, who like your ideal customer avatar is, for me, saved us so much money because when somebody would come into the salon, you know, like a rep would walk in through the door with a box of crazy color, before I would have bought the whole range. But the problem is my perfect guest the people who use my salon didn't want crazy color so i would buy it for it to sit on the shelf so the whole kind of marketing thing where i started started to learn about marketing online marketing and your brand message and perfect guest and all of that started to really understand how to
0: market the business better so i guess like that really would you say was the turning point for you when you decided to switch over and discover more of the social media business side, that sort of thing?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I just discovered I had a real talent for it. I had a real, a real talent for online marketing. I understood it. So I was busily working away and doing all the social media and really growing all that for the salon. Like I said before, we had been having business coaching and People in the coaching group started to kind of ask me, how did you make that video? How did you make that post? And the business coach group asked me if I would become their social media coach. So I was doing that in the evening alongside the salon and it was great. I just collected all this knowledge about Instagram and it was really because I was just helping other people. And then obviously when we went into the pandemic, I needed something to do and I needed to feel Useful, and I needed to feel like I had some control over this craziness that was going on. And that's when I thought, I'm going to turn this into a boot camp. So, you know, I started doing that. So I started running regular social media boot camps throughout the lockdowns and it's grown from there. Somehow it became the hairdresser social club. It's super swanky now. It's like got its own platform and <laughs> all its own beautifully shot and edited and curated videos. It's so beautiful. Like the course is 12 weeks long and it's all videos and then I do a QA session, a live QA session, and then there's a support group and you no know, this it's so swanky now. But it was, it's been amazing. It's been an amazing journey to learn all of this new tech and, you know, all about like launching courses and funnels and strategy. And ah, it's so cool. I love it. As soon as I saw how you can turn a course into a business, I was like, okay, I'm really excited about that. I'm so excited about it. But I also realized that it's a proper business. And if you are going to do it, you have to do it full time. So I made the decision to leave the salon and that was hard, you know. So that was a really tough decision. Like that wasn't easy at all because I've done it for so long. And, you know, I felt like, and and I know you feel like this book because I know this is you entirely. I feel like hairdressing is my identity. Like it's it's kind of who I am rather than what I do. So anybody listening who is a non-hairdresser, like, you know, if my carpenter husband listened to this, which he won't, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just saying, you know, imagine. He, he wouldn't say, I am a carpenter. He'd say, yeah, I do carpentry. Like, But I felt like it very much is who I am. And I felt almost like I was being disloyal to my own talent or disloyal to my clients or disloyal to you know myself and all the hard work and stuff that I put into being a good hairdresser. And I really pride myself on being a good hairdresser. And I thought, just because you're good at it doesn't mean you have to do it forever. I have no idea who said this, but I heard it on a podcast and it was a hairdresser. So if anybody knows who did say this, like send me a DM and tell me and I'll credit them. But they said something along the lines of when you go and work in, let's say, McDonald's, right? You're not expected to be flipping burgers for your whole entire career just because you're good at flipping burgers. Like you're not expected to not progress up through the management levels, you know, manage the restaurant, then go into area management and keep climbing the ladder through that industry. Whereas in hairdressing, weirdly, we kind of expect you to stay Mm -hmm. on the salon floor behind that chair, which is a bit weird when you think about it. So wouldn't it be only natural for you, Brooke, to go on and go into some sort of kind of more management level role once you've kind of done your time behind the chair and then you bring in a whole other layer of people who fill your space behind the chair Mm -hmm. you know and you support them and grow them and and then you move up to the next rung and you you support the people who are who come up from behind the chair into the management role absolutely I agree so in our industry, why do we, Why are you meant to stay behind the chair until the day you retire? It's quite a weird one, unless you want to. And if you want to go for it, like, absolutely. But there are, for anybody who's listening to this, I do want people to realize, like, there, there are so many opportunities that are going to present themselves to you later on in your career that you don't even know about yet.
0: We're coming to the end and something that we do with every person who is on the show is we do some quickfire questions. Okay, I will try and make it quick. (laughs) Answer them in like, you know, a little sentence or whatever, okay? What's your favourite hair product? Purple shampoo.
1: And and I don't even care which one, I know. Who was the worst client you ever had? Oh God, I've got so many stories, this is terrible. I'm trying to decide which one. This isn't the worst one I ever had. And and it wasn't the client who was the worst, okay, but, this lady came in and had this really long hair and she said that she wanted it cut really short. Cutting it, kind of got around the front, was detailing all the little fringe. It was gorgeous. It was like a little Halle Berry back in the day. It was cute. And she kind of had her head down and then when I like looked at her face, she was crying and she was like, I absolutely hate it. I don't know why I've done it. You see, the thing is, my husband's just left me.
0: Oh no. And he
1: always hated women with short hair, so I thought I'll get him back. A massive lesson I learned at that point was when somebody's going to come into the salon and ask for something so big a change, I never did it on the day ever again. I never just said, yeah, no problem, let's do that. What's the worst cut you've ever
0: had? yourself.
1: Yeah, okay. I know this one and I'm going to call her out. Catherine Sweeney, if you were listening to this, (laughs) Catherine Sweeney was the um, art director in Tony and Guy in Dublin. She ran the academy. There was just a very mod look going on at that time. Super short fringes were in. Like I had (laughs) a really short haircut and I had my fringe scissor over combed like an inch back. (laughs) And then it was like spiky over the top, so you kind of like section off a halo, right? Yeah. And scissor over comb, like basically like a hairband piece from ear to ear. Sorry, what is that all about? But like I had no choice because I was Catherine's apprentice, so like I got whatever I was told. You couldn't do that to juniors now.
0: No, <laughs> oh, absolutely not. I'm telling my my apprentices not to have low lights putting their hair, and they're like, we're doing what we want. I'm like, Mm. okay. (laughs) (laughs) What's the worst haircut you've ever given? I gave the worst haircut ever in my
1: life to my best friend when we were (laughs) drunk. Because (laughs) I said to her, I've been doing this long enough. I know what I'm doing. Obviously, I'm able to cut hair and i can tell you right now i cannot cut hair drunk i remember <laughs> looking at the hair between my fingers and trying to get the scissors to connect with it and i couldn't get the two of them to connect so oh uh, my god yeah yeah so at least you didn't you know it wasn't in the salon.
0: <laughs> and last question what advice would you give to your younger self I would
1: probably tell my younger self to settle down, go home earlier from the party, like go home, you've got work tomorrow, you know, that kind of thing. And probably like to, you know, reach out into the industry and start kind of joining teams and entering awards. And, you know, I would definitely tell my younger self to keep kind of chasing that dream because I
0: definitely put it on hold for the salon. Well, It's been amazing. And obviously with you being the social media person that you are, tell everybody where they can find you. Well, you can find me on Instagram
1: <laughs> at The Hairdressers Social Club and on my website. If you want to go and check out what I do, you know, there's a couple of free classes that you can go and literally just watch straight away. So that's www.thehairdresserssocialclub.com.
0: And, you know, reach out to me anytime in DMs. I'm always there for it. Oh, incredible. Thank you so much for being part of today. I have loved chatting to you. I've loved it too, Brooke. Thanks so much, babe. You're so lovely. Thanks so much, Vivian, for joining us on the podcast. That's it for today's episode of NHBF Shines On. In our next episode, we'll continue to bring you the stories of the brightest lights in the hair and beauty industry, helping you to grow your business and with the help of the NHBF, chart your course to salon success.